This morning, we are reading from Isaiah 30, Isaiah 30, um, starting in verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away, till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, welcome to Trinity. It's great to see you. If this is your first time, we are especially glad that you are with us. And I am really excited this morning. And uh, I'm excited not just because we have new mugs, for you, although we do, we have some Trinity swag for you in the house. But I am uh, most excited this morning because we are starting a new series uh, that will take us through the end of the calendar year at least. Over the next two or three months, we are going to look through uh, the entirety of the scriptures at this one theme, which is God's heart for renewal. And in this series, I I have three uh, really big hopes. The first hope is that we would understand that God's desire is to work in our hearts, in our lives, and in our churches through a pattern of renewal. And the second hope is that we would recognize that every generation of church is called to actively pursue renewal and pray for revival. And my third hope in this series is that we would believe that our, our cultural moment, the, the exact moment in, in time and place that we're in right now, is desperate for renewal and ripe for revival. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've had a little bit of a sinus thing this week. Uh, I went to the doctor. It's not COVID. Uh, It's not strep. I'm not contagious. I was cleared to be here. But I will be sipping on uh, my hot tea and bourbon all morning. I'm kidding. It's Sprite. I have these big hopes for this series. And and honestly, it's been uh, something of a journey for me. Probably for the last 13 years, I've been studying the history of revivals in Scripture in church history. Maybe 12 months ago, I experienced uh, my own personal renewal within my soul. And by God's grace, as I was talking to other leaders and members of the church, I began to see that, that he was doing a new work in a lot of us. And so over the last 12 months, Pastor Casey and the leadership team and I, we've been planning and looking forward to this series in, in preparation for what God might do in our midst. And not just in our midst as a particular church, a local church, but what he might do in our broader community through all the churches and all the ministries as we just prayed for them. And so as my children would say, I am hype for this. It will be epic. It's going to be litty. I think I'm getting those terms right. Before we get too carried away, let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our scripture text this morning. Father, you are so good to us. You are steadfast, as we just sang. You are never changing, even though we change so much, we ebb and flow, we, we rise and fall. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Though we drift away from you, you you continue to call us back to yourself. When we're dry, you give us water. When we go dark, you, you send out your light into our lives. When we are weary, as I am this morning, you give strength. And so what we ask for now, Father, is that you would speak this morning. You are a God of speaking. You spoke creation to existence. You you uphold creation by your word. And so would you speak to our hearts, speak to our minds this morning. We need your word in our lives, Father, would you speak. And Lord Jesus, you are the king. You are the hope of our lives. You are the glorious one. And yet you have called us friends. Lord Jesus, would you be glorified in everything that we do, our singing, our praying, our teaching, our our following of you. And Holy Spirit of God, we know that you are always with us. And yet the scriptures still beckon you to, to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring the fullness of your presence into our midst right now, Lord. Bring your your manifest presence, your glory into this place in a way that we can sense and feel your love and your nearness and your power for us. Empower our work, empower our ministries, empower my words even now. Apart from you, we have nothing. Our churches and ministries are utterly powerless apart from you. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Three things I want to look at this morning to sort of set the stage for this whole series as we move through it in the next couple months. The first thing I want us to see is our need of renewal. Second, God's heart for renewal. And then third, the dynamics of renewal, how it actually happens, what it looks like. And so our need, God's heart, and then the dynamics of renewal. Now, a very long time ago, many, many years ago, there was a a, a desperate man as, as the story goes, he was, was going through the desert. He was the son of a very famous, a very wealthy man. In fact, the wealthiest man who had lived in human history up to that point. And, and this man, he, he was with his wife. He had his children with him. He had uh, his cousins and, and scores of family members, friends. He had his servants. He had his donkeys and camels and, and whatever other animals that they used to travel with back in that day. But they found themselves in a position of absolutely desperate need. They were moving through the the Middle East and they ran out of food and water. And they they had nowhere to go in pursuit of water. They were moving through a foreign land and his his father had been in that land before, but he had kind of made enemies with that people. And so the the native people were not going to be any help to him. And so they were in this desperate condition. It was a crisis. It was absolutely life and death. But our, our man, he was named Isaac, he, he knew this one thing, that his father, Abraham, had been in this land before and that he had dug wells in this land. And if there's one thing that Isaac knew of his father, Abraham, and in fact, it was the way that Abraham had amassed his, his wealth and all of his resources and all of these different things that he had, the thing that Isaac knew about Abraham is that he knew how to find water. This was Abraham's great skill in a worldly sense. He knew he could look at the landscape and he could find where the water might be and he could drill down and create a well and draw up water every single time. He knew how to find water. 
And so for Isaac and all these people in this desperate condition, they, they could have done a number of things. They, they could have asked for help. They could have gone looking for water experts. They could have summoned like the water diviners and sorcerers. They could have tried new strategies and, and new ideas and gotten really creative. But instead, this was a desperate situation. Their lives were on the line. And so what Isaac said is, I, I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll find the wells that my father Abraham dug. And I, even though they had been filled in by the Philistines, I will dig them anew. And so he did. And so they found water. And the people were saved. Now, this story is told in Genesis 26, and it might be kind of an odd place to begin a series on renewal, but there's, there's an old sermon by a, a British preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and he opened with this story, and I think it is so beautiful because it shows us this message that connects to us right now, that we too are living in desperate times, that we are in a moment of crisis. We have a problem confronting the church today, our need of renewal and revival and it's, it's the same need that Isaac faced. It's the need of life itself, living water, for, for a power and, and an energy and a life that we can't possibly live without. If we don't find this water, then life itself will come to an end. And so what I want to show you in this sermon, in this series, what we're going to be looking at for the next nine weeks is that our need for renewal is just as desperate, just as life and death, just as critically important as our need of water. I believe that the church is in great danger in the Western world. It's thriving in Latin America. It's, it's thriving in sub-Saharan Africa. It's thriving in a lot of parts of East Asia and South Asia. But it is so struggling in the Western world. Now, when I, when I say that, I'm, I'm not trying to call us back to some roots as a Christian nation because I think that's both historically inaccurate, and I know that any time that the church has been aligned with formal worldly power, it hasn't exactly gone well. So my goal is not to call us back to something in a national sense. My concern is that the Western church is, is what David described of Israel in the Psalms. It's a dry and weary place. We are a people in need of renewal. There's not much here in the way of water, of real, vibrant, true life. And that's why I said one of my three hopes for this series is that we would recognize our desperate need for renewal and that our cultural moment is ripe for a revival. I've been convinced that this is the exact type of moment that God likes to bring renewal when you look at the condition that we're in right now. A period of, of decline in the church's influence and, and, and its ability to maintain pure worship, even though there's Christians and there's churches all over the place it seems clear that we're in a period of decline in the purity of the church. And then often in the history of revivals, what happens is a season of crisis culturally. It could be a natural disaster. It could be a war. It could be a famine. It could be some kind of health pandemic. It could be social injustice and unrest. It could be economic collapse. It could be unemployment. It could be unprecedented levels of anxiety and depression. All these things that we're experiencing as a culture right now. And I think I also have in my notes, there's a minor election in nine days. So that as well, on top of all these other crises. It's in a time like this that we are in the same position as Isaac and his family. This is not a time for 
innovation and creativity. This is not a time for a new strategy. We don't have to figure it out. We don't, we're not in a position where the church merely needs better music or more culturally savvy preaching. You know, we don't need bigger buildings and better programs. We're in a desperate position. And the one thing that we need is the presence of the living God. We need that, that true and living water to bring renewal into our lives. And so you might ask, what do I mean by renewal and revival? What are the ways that we're using these two words in this series? Well, throughout this series, we're going to define renewal like this. Renewal is the ordinary, ongoing process of growth in Christ that's brought about by the presence of God. Renewal is that ordinary, ongoing work of spiritual growth and transformation in Christ that comes through exposure to the presence of God. Revival is the intensification of that process. Revival is taking renewal, all those ordinary, ongoing forms of renewal, and it, and it intensifies it in a miraculous, in a sudden, and surprising, and unexpected way with extraordinary power. And yet it's still just all of the same things of renewal. It's not just like revival is some totally new set of practices and experiences in the church. It's really just renewal poured out on a wide scale. Revivals fill the pages of Scripture. They're found throughout church history, moments of unexpected and unexplainable growth of the church in an area. It's never just one local church, but it's always scores of churches, even multiple nations being instantly awakened, producing thousands of new believers who are living with incredible passion. And you can think about a lot of church growth in the Western world can, can be explained, you know, if a church grows by 30% and they, they have great music and great preaching and they did a big outreach program, you can kind of look at that from a sociological standpoint and, and explain a church's growth. And there's a lot of renewal in there. That's not a bad thing at all. But revival is a totally unexplainable type of growth. It's like 10,000% growth in a single year when something just incredibly, unbelievably, unprecedented happens in the midst of a time and place, a complete outpouring of God's grace so that there is renewal everywhere you look. We are in desperate need of this renewal. Now, where do we see this in the scriptures? That's the second thing, God's heart for renewal. That takes us to our, our passage that Lauren read, Isaiah 30. This is 700 years before Jesus' birth. God's people were living in Jerusalem, their, their home, they're in the promised land, and yet there is this major threat. The, the Assyrian Empire has been moving west and just wiping out all these smaller nations. And so Israel sees them coming, and, and they're terrified. They know that they can't defeat Assyria with their own little army, and so they, they come up with a plan, a strategy. And what they do is they send an envoy down to Egypt asking for assistance. They're, they're thinking their logic is that if Egypt comes and protects us with their army, then we'll just be subject to them and we won't be totally destroyed by the Assyrians. Now, if only the Israelites would have read some of their own history. The, like the defining moment of the Old Testament is Israel being freed from slavery 
in Egypt. And now they're literally going back to the exact same place. They're going back to their old oppressors looking to enter that same oppression. After all that God had done for them, after the ten plagues, after the Passover, after the the exodus through the Red Sea, getting into Jericho, water from the rock, manna from heaven, entering the promised land, defeating Goliath, setting up the new temple. After all this, there's threat of an invasion, and immediately they want to go back to Egypt. And so Isaiah, well, God, God speaking through Isaiah says this, verse 15, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and in rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. God is saying in in repentance, or it can also be translated in returning, in returning to me is your salvation. You don't even have to fight. You just need to turn back home. You can rest. I will fight for you. I will be your army. But you would have none of it. And so they go off to Egypt looking for this this worldly help. And yet it's unbelievable. The, The logic of it makes no sense. In verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Though they are running right back to their old oppressors, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This fits what we see in in all of the renewals in in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, In the book of Judges, we see this phrase that every man was just doing whatever seemed best to him in that moment. But then God would would raise up a righteous king to lead the people back home, lead them back to God's word. We we see over and over again, one one example is in Nehemiah and Ezra. Jerusalem is in shambles. The walls have been torn down. The city is under attack from all these other nations. And so God moves in the heart of Nehemiah, who's just like a governor, a manager. And he moves in the heart of Ezra, who's a priest. And together they work with the people to rebuild the city. And at the end of it, there's a sudden and surprising outpouring of God. In the New Testament, throughout the the book of Acts, over and over, the church is hard-pressed. They're in a desperate place. And they, they gather and they worship and they cry out to God. And there's a movement of the Holy Spirit in that place. Prayer always precedes power in the book of Acts. In Revelation 3 and 4, written just 50 or 60 years after Jesus' return into heaven, already we see letters being written to the church calling them back, saying, you're a lukewarm. Turn back. Turn back to your first love. Experience renewal. Like we're not even out of the New Testament, and already churches are in need of renewal. And so the scriptures are full of these prayers for renewal and revival. Psalm 85 is a revival psalm. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. My personal favorite is called the prayer of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3.2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. 
And so there are a few tensions that we have to hold together when we're pursuing renewal and we're praying for revival. And the first tension that we have to hold is that renewal cannot be manufactured by human effort, and yet it always involves human effort. We can't make it happen, but God always uses our efforts when he does make it happen. J.I. Packer, an author, he writes, The divine visitation that revives, it cannot be precipitated by human effort, even though our not caring about it and not seeking it can effectively quench the spirit and block it. In other words, if we are not pursuing renewal, then we can never expect to see it. The second tension that we have to hold is that renewal follows a pattern, a, a cycle that can be demonstrated through Scripture and through church history, and yet it always comes as a surprise. Even to those who are looking for revival, it comes still as a surprise. And the third tension that we have to hold is that every generation of church should be pursuing the, the ordinary, ongoing work of renewal and actively praying for revival. Every one of us, every church, every individual, every ministry, we should be doing the ongoing work of renewal, doing the Bible study and the prayer and community and sharing our faith and serving the poor and needy, all the things that lead to our renewal. We should be doing those constantly and praying that God would release a revival through those efforts. Those two things aren't opposed, but one leads to the other. And so you can think, if we are praying for revival and it doesn't happen in our lifetime, have we failed? And I think if we're not doing the ongoing, the normal work of renewal, we're only praying for revival and we don't see it, then we have failed. But if we're doing the work of renewal, if we are constantly pursuing the Lord and the things of His, doing the regular work of renewal, and we don't see a revival in our day, that simply means that we are called to be planters and and sowers and not harvesters. We have played our role in the kingdom of God and revival will come in another generation. The joy of ordinary renewal is still ours. So maybe the best illustration that I've I've heard is that of a sailboat. If if you want to go sailing and and you don't put up your sail, you're not going to get very far. So if a sailor hasn't put up his sail and, and the wind blows, you're not going anywhere. Well, the, jo- the, the job of the sailor is not to make wind happen. It's simply to do his part, to put up the sail so that when the wind blows, movement will happen. And that's our job. What, is, what does this look like? It's the last thing, the dynamics of renewal. Renewals happen in a pattern that can be traced throughout Scripture and throughout history. There's a cycle of renewal. And I have a graphic for this. Don't hit it yet, Matt. Hang on. Because last time I showed one of my fancy graphics, people were blown away, super tech savvy, so just calm down, don't be too impressed. Go ahead and show it to them. This is the cycle of renewal. And it begins with decline, up there at the top. When there's decline in the church, there's, there's always a season of decline before any renewal or revival can happen. And often in that decline, there's some kind of moment of crisis. What I described earlier is a national or international crisis where people are brought to the end of themselves. In the first real stage in the cycle of renewal, it's holy discontent. 
When people in a very righteous, holy way become discontent with their own hearts, with their own lives, with their own churches and ministries. They're no longer satisfied with just church, with business as usual, but they begin to want to see something so much more. The next stage that we see throughout history is called preparation. That God works in the hearts of people to bring about confession, repentance, turning back to God. God sparks an increased desire for his presence. And in this season of preparation, what people do is they declutter their lives. They remove any old habits or patterns that are, that are not conducive to God's presence. They remove addiction from their lives. They move anything out of the way that is getting in the way of God's presence. That's preparation. The next stage is contending in prayer. And this is the movement of a small group of people from merely consuming church to contending in prayer, praying that the church would move forward in a dramatic, extraordinary way, embracing new patterns of life that make space for this increase in God's presence. And then renewal happens, a contagious spreading of that ordinary work of God in our souls the work of his word, the the work of his spirit, the work of fellowship and mission. It begins to spread. It begins to advance. Ministry is, is empowered. And the ordinary work of renewal begins to happen. And then maybe, just maybe, revival happens. And as I've said, revival is an intensification of renewal. Revival is, it's been called renewal gone viral which we thought of as like a a really catchy title for this series, you know, Renewal Gone Viral, especially during like a big virus. Every church is like viral church. Healthcare people are like, it's too soon. Don't do it. It's a terrible joke. Revival is renewal intensified. This is the pattern. It happens as a pattern in our hearts. It happens as a pattern in our lives, in our churches, in history. Holy discontent leads to a preparation, leads to contending in prayer, leads to renewal, and might lead to revival. Now, what's our first step? What do we do in response? There's, there's just one application this week, just one thing, and we'll get to the others down the line. The one thing for today is to cultivate that holy discontent. Mark Sayers, who's an Australian pastor, has said, renewals happen when people get to the end of themselves. When there's nothing to rely on except a contending on your knees for God's Spirit to move. I know this is true in history, and I know it's true in my own life. Renewals happen when we get to the end of ourselves. When when we're tired of not having the joy of the Holy Spirit, the peace of the Holy Spirit, when, when we're not enjoying the riches of God's word, when, when community and fellowship and worship is a struggle, when the circumstances of life bring us to the very end of ourselves, that's exactly where holy discontent can begin. This includes three things, holy discontent with our culture, with a world that is, that is so broken, so unjust. We look at our culture and we feel holy discontent. But second, we look at the church and we feel holy discontent. We feel, how could the church not live up to its beautiful calling in God's word? How do we bring about renewal, joy, and peace in the church? 
We need a real, spirit-led, humble movement of God in the church. And then you can see that this is moving from the outward in, and the third thing is a holy discontent with our own hearts. When I look within and I'm, and I'm not satisfied with, with the smallness of God in my own heart, recognizing as much as, as the world needs, as the church needs, renewal, my own heart needs renewal more than anything else. And it's following the call of Isaiah 30, turn back, repent, find rest. In quietness and in trust is your strength. And so the question is, what in your life needs to be reordered? What in your life needs to be cut out? What in your life, maybe some new patterns of life that need to be embraced? Maybe it's consumerism, just getting caught up and having the right things and keeping up with others. Maybe it's the pursuit of comfort and, and ease, just trying to, to get by and, and, and kind of not have to deal with the hard things of life. I have no doubt, even in this room, there are significant struggles with alcohol, pornography, anger and bitterness, drug addiction, broken marriages. And for you, you can hear that our God is a God of renewal and a God of healing. And renewal for you can look like a profound healing in these things. Maybe that's still not it for you. Maybe it's just the grind of life. Maybe it's, it, you've just been 20-20 all year long. The hardness of life, of, of work, or of unemployment, or of raising kids in this time. Maybe you just feel dull and lifeless. But that's exactly where holy discontent can begin. Being unhappy with the condition of your own soul before God. I'm so discontent with my own heart and, and an often powerless life and, and my parenting and my ministry, not feeling any of the God's power within it. Being right at the end of myself where all I can do is call out for more of God's presence. And you might be saying, I, I don't know about my role in all this. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm new here. I'm not a leader. You know, I'm too young. I'm too old. God will use somebody else. But the reality is in renewal, and especially in revival, the opposite is true. Revivals come not from, from the inside out, not from the formal leadership, the big churches and denominations of the day. Revival always moves from the fringes inward. Revivals are, are always led by the least likely people, the churches and movements you would never expect. Often people have to move beyond traditional forms of church. Revivals always come from the fringes. All these revivals in history that I've studied, you can never actually trace it back to where it began. No one person, no one group can really get the glory. No one but God. Personal renewal leads to congregational renewal, leads to citywide renewal. There's nothing too big for our God. I think in, in closing of John 11, where Jesus is, is invited to his friend's funeral, Lazarus has been in the grave for three days. Mary and Martha rush to Jesus saying, Lord, if only you had been here, and Jesus, knowing full well what he's about to do, he weeps. 
He weeps with Mary and Martha and with the people at the funeral. He's, he's not so far off from, from our pain, from us being at the end of ourselves. He might even be waiting for us to become more desperate. It's in this moment that Jesus calls into the darkness, Lazarus, rise, come forth. And this man comes walking out of the grave and into new life. And Jesus can do this absolutely whenever he wants. Jesus has all authority over life and death. It's in his hands. And Jesus himself, like Lazarus, spent three days in a tomb, going straight into the darkness, straight into sin and Satan and death and and conquering it from the inside out. And that's why he has authority over life and death so that he can resurrect in an instant. That's what renewal is, new life. Revivals are often called awakenings, and I love that because simply people wake up. They, they rise. They get out of bed. They, they throw open the curtain so that light can come flooding into the room. I believe God is saying to us, I want to give you more of myself. Ask me. I'll give you more than you could imagine. We need to see ourselves in a, in a desperate place. And if you don't feel that, you need to cultivate this holy discontent. We need to see God's heart is for our renewal and that the pattern of this renewal begins with us. With ordinary people in ordinary places. Doing the, the, the ordinary and yet extraordinary things around God's word, around prayer, around fellowship, around worship. Asking God for an outpouring of his spirit on our knees, begging for more of the presence of the living God. Praying in in the words of Habakkuk, Lord, we, we have seen your fame. We have seen your mighty works in history. Repeat them in our day. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Let's pray.